Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Pharma Launch Secret Podcast. I'm joined today by Julia Walsh. Uh, and Julia has uh, nearly 25 years of experience working on the agency side, mostly, um, of the healthcare life science industry and working with large pharma companies such as Gilad Bayer, Novartis, and Pfizer. I, I heard her uh, presentation um, about six months ago at the pharma conference. And I was really intrigued by this whole notion of Dr. Google and the whole notion of search listening, which we will talk about today. So uh, Julie is currently CEO of Brand Medicine International. It's her company that's working on strategic insights with focus on search listening at the core of methodology. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much, Buddy. How are you doing? Doing really well. I've had a lot of good meetings today and... It's been eight or nine hours. I'm still energized to have a fourth coffee so I can go for five, six more hours. So Excellent. I'm excited about <laughs> I want to learn as much as I can. I have your book as well. And definitely want to go down the, the, the rabbit hole. Search so first of all, pharma and patients. It's, it's an unusual relationship because it's very unusual that for an industry to have an end user that they're are certain limitations or red tapes on what pharma can do and cannot do. So it's very unusual. And I know a lot of pharma uh, executives are now in 2022 talking about doing more for patients, more educational content. So my question is, why is pharma industry not doing more on the patient side? So let's start with that. Um, well, I think, like you said, there's this regulatory framework that prohibits us from doing that. And then, of course, there's the responsibility of ensuring that people with the right level of education are connecting um, on, on the product level before decision-making process is finalized. I think what I've learned through my work and been able to prove, which we all probably had an idea was happening, is that patients are going to Google as a first port of call for their information, not just on niggling symptoms and how to kind of come to terms with the diagnosis, but also their medications. And I think that's one of the biggest digital disconnects that we're having where patients are not actually um, permitted to be directly communicated to in many markets aside from the US and New Zealand um, by the manufacturers of this product. And so I think that's one of the biggest reasons why pharma can't be more patient-centric in the online space. But my work is proving and developing a case for the, the need to actually um, stop uh, accepting regulatory restrictions that are sort of designed for pre-internet era and start to drive reform on that front um, because what's happening is that we're inadvertently creating a vacuum where misinformation can fester. So that's why I'm very passionate about this work and understanding the digital landscape through the lens of search listening. Yeah, very interesting. I moved to the US seven years ago and... Uh... And I, I knew that there, there are ads or DTC, it's called direct-to-consumer. And then someone told me it's also New Zealand, so New Zealand, the U.S. It's really unusual. People have divided opinions on whether you should be seeing ads on, on TVs. And then the first 30 seconds is about 
that and then the other 30 seconds hold longer side effects and the scare doctor it's very interesting but in general there is so much that can be done in education wise outside of uh brand discussion so thank you julie yes i um actually moved uh, to us seven years ago and and it was relatively new to me to see like ads on tv and i heard that's possible so in new zealand but you know there's so much that can be done uh beyond mm -hmm. uh proactive branding campaigns and, and actually i have um a position on that actually because i think direct to consumer advertising as it were it, it has been tainted and there is a lot of opposition to it as well so in, in my work, I like to reframe what we're aiming for as patient-responsive content. So it's about turning up where and when they need us to with evidence-based content that answers their specific questions online. And that's quite different to direct-to-consumer um, advertising in the traditional sense of advertising. Um, and I think the, the, the definition I'm proposing makes it more palatable uh, to a lot of maybe those decision makers. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. And I agree, it's a little bit painted, especially with the long list of side effects and ask your doctor and all that. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Google, which I think is part of the title of your book and search listening. First of all, what is search listening? And can you share with us a little bit of a macro picture about number of searches in healthcare and how many of those are drug searches, just so we kind of have a starting point, understanding how, how big this opportunity is. Yes, I, I mean, I think the opportunity is just absolutely massive. And I think it's the next um, frontier in the communication space for pharma and for any healthcare stakeholder, really. Um, so search listening is a way of analyzing the aggregated questions that are asked around the topic. And in my methodology, we follow those questions through to actually look at the search results that they're getting as well. And so we're analyzing that digital information experience of patients and actually healthcare professional stakeholders. So for example, a patient might ask Prolia, what does it do to the body? Whereas the healthcare professional will say, denosumab MOA. This is the same question, but asked by two different stakeholders. And then we can actually look at the landing page that's been served back to them by Google in their local market, in their local language. And we can see whether or not they're getting that, um, that content that actually answers that question. It doesn't matter who it's published by. It just matters that it's up to date and it's accurate. Um, and it is always, of course, interesting to see whether or not that stakeholder company has a presence on that landing page. Um, so the search listening, there's estimated about a billion health-related questions asked into Google every single day. And if you think about your own behavior and use that as a benchmark for your expectations, you'll see how this is a big opportunity for pharma. Because I think the penny-dropping moment for a lot of people is that, oh, well, we haven't approached that that way in our communication strategy yet. Um, and, and so that that's sort of why if we think about our own expectations, a lot of people would like to get an answer to a question in under three minutes. And there's quite a big percentage of people as well that expect to get their hands on a good answer to their question in under a minute. And then there's about 95% of us that if we don't get the answer that we want on page one, rather than going through to page two, we will go back and we'll ask the question a different way. 
And so that's why, um, yeah, the other part of search listening is we're listening to the long-form questions in the words that patients and healthcare professionals actually use. It's quite different from SEO, which is just kind of a keyword. And so are you able to distinguish relatively easily, you gave an example, HCP asking question, right? patient asking question. Are you able to distinguish uh, relatively easily or to what percentage where the question is coming from? Well, we, we do a lot of analysis. So we literally sit with the Excel file of all of the aggregated questions on a topic. Um, we start with a seed word that's agreed with the client. And that is used sort of like a worm on a hook when you go fishing. And, um, and we, we put that out there and we gather all of the questions that include that seed word. So it might be a disease, it might be diabetes, or it might be HIV, or it might be a medicine. Um, and uh, so when we're looking at those questions, based on our understanding and experience in healthcare, we're able to start to sort them by by what's been asked by healthcare professionals, what's been asked by patients, and also looking at the patients, we can identify segments of patients. This patient is a mother. This patient, um, you know, well, this is the carer. This is the partner of someone who has that disease. Um, so it is really interesting in that sense that if, for example, you're working in a disease area where there's a segment of the population that you know still have that disease but remain undiagnosed, this is a great way to find those needles in a haystack because with that many questions being asked every day, you know that those stakeholders are turning to the internet at some point and asking a question. If they don't know that they have the disease, they'll be asking questions about the symptoms. Um, yeah, so, so we go through and we find those specific questions um, and then we work with them based on what the communication strategy is. All right, All right. so let's say you know, I'm a pharma marketeer launching a product or work together with medical affairs and launching a product in six months from now. And we start to look mm. deeper into that. We start to look in the search queries from patients, caregivers on one side, on the other side of healthcare professional. How can that help us? Is it to inform our content, educational content we produce on the disease, for example, related? Is it going, is it help us refine our our messaging is what are the kind of the practical applications of understanding better what people are searching for? Yes, I, I think there are so many different layers of how this can actually help you through a launch period. And we're developing um, a service around launch calibration so that you can actually understand what's changing in time. Because essentially the internet is the modern day town square. It's where people go to exchange information. And so even six months before your launch, your product will be in clinical trials or, you know, or years before your launch even. And, um, and so that's where understanding the digital landscape through search is actually a really powerful way to map that collective consciousness on that topic um, around your disease and then ultimately through to your treatment. So right at the beginning we can identify patients to be recruited into a, into a trial because you can find those newly diagnosed patients. For example, um, one of the aspects of my work is looking at the stages of grief that people go through as they um, grapple with the, you know, the diagnosis of a disease. So we all go through that. We go through denial where we, we dismiss a symptom and we gravitate towards content that lets us dismiss that symptom or, 
or hope or bargaining. And in the bargaining stage, people will say, can newly diagnosed diabetes be reversed? In that instance, um, for that question, the search results page um, had nothing about recruiting people into a trial potentially, but there were 850 different clinical trials on diabetes on um, clinicaltrials.gov at that time. So this is a big opportunity to go, that's a newly diagnosed patient. We could be recruiting them into our trial. And then as they're in the trial, before you have information published online about that medicine, those people in the trial are very possibly going online and asking questions about it. So you'll start to get the kind of questions that people really want to know about, about your medication really, really early because you can harvest them. And so there will be questions that they ask that aren't maybe something they're comfortable to share with those investigators in the trial sort of process. Um, it could be to do with sexual performance or it could be to do with mental health or it could be to do with just speculating about an interaction with another medication. So by like listening to this, we can really put the patient concerns and questions at the heart of our approach. The other thing is what's coming back to them when we have nothing published. And so this is where they can stumble across information that can then be potentially shared in the social group with tens of thousands of other patients with that same disease. And it can potentially derail the acceptance of this product as it comes to market. Um, the other aspect is that some of those people in the trial might be going online and putting a, a review in Reddit or something like that. Um, or on drugs.com, which is a website that I really struggle with, to be honest. Um, yeah, and so and it's very prominent all the time. Um, and so these reviews can then really impact that acceptance of the product as it is launched because they will bubble up and because they will have had the, um, a period of time where they've dominated the digital landscape, they might have a higher domain authority or a higher presence. And so you're trying to launch and you're wondering what's going wrong when you've got a super reviewer out there who's written something early on in the process and that's somehow turning up on every single landing page that people are going to when they ask a question about your medication. Um, so that's leading up to launch, um, how it can really be a very valuable tool. Yes. And then you mentioned the use case of um, recruitment for clinical trials. You mentioned... Uh, reviews, um, is there also a way of using those long tail searches in, for, to inform content production? Because there's nothing worse than you know, investing a 30, 50K in, in uh, each video that's like three to five minutes long and then being off the topic. <laughs> so, so- Oh, 100%. Yes, I totally sense. agree so, with you. So um, that use case and, and you know, especially the long, the long term get long tail keywords if you know that there is a significant amount of searches and you produce five to ten videos and they go right into the heart of those questions so it's a good way yeah. to build trust with patients without talking about the drug yes yeah well you've i mean you've you've hit the nail on the head it's um you know it it, it is about um actually answering the questions that people are really asking and i see that all the time where um, a, a company has produced a very high-end video about 
how to inject a medication, for example, because the reality is the internet doesn't have borders. And so all of these regulatory restrictions and all of these markets that prohibit people from having their product presented online with the content that has been approved by medical and legal and regulatory, that is based on the evidence, the fact that they can't have that presence means that these people are able to get it anyway from the US market where it is available. And so, so that, that content is going everywhere. But in the instance of, say, a video that's around how to inject a product, because of the, our style and approach and because of the mentality of the general public in terms of how they seek information online and what they gravitate towards and what resonates with them, I'll find some random YouTube star talking about how they inject that medication. She'll have 30,000 views of her video. And then further down the page or on the next page, the company produced one might have 200 views. And so I think, you know, we're trying to do the right thing by having really rigorously produced content that's fully balanced. But if it's not bite-sized and if it's not accessible and relatable to the audience, we're not even being seen. So what's the point? Um, and what is also really important is those, those influences, you know, like I think what we need to start doing is find a way to work with them. Or if their video on how to inject your product is getting so many views, make sure you place an ad in your market before that where that, that person can bounce out of that because you know they're asking how to inject that med medication. Um, it could be a biologic or whatever. Um, and then, then you can actually detour and intercept that digital information experience and bring that stakeholder over to your content um, and, and deliver what you want to. But you are competing with very consumer savvy, relatable um, online stars, you know, YouTube stars. And so I think taking that into account is really important. Yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, as you mentioned, like partnering with those uh, patients, keeping uh, here leaders or patient influencers, uh, especially around education. So a pharma company wants to offer something that's uh, the, the innovative education, innovative content that touches a lot of patients that's rooted in, mm -hmm. in some research but it's not coming from pharma channel, which gets you know, 50 views, <laughs> but it comes from that. Yeah, While yeah. it's transparently shared, that actually there's a partnership and it's focused on education yeah. around a certain topic, that definitely can be an opportunity. Uh, I'm uh, You're listening and I'm thinking, how come there is no tool that Google has built to better understand that, uh, something like that? Given that, you know, I think we read somewhere 5% of all searches are healthcare related. And I know that Google for years have been uh, uh, trying to uh, distinguish between correct information and misinformation. And that even like when you type something health related, they had little cards. Then I read yesterday that on YouTube, they are going to verify the doctors and their information. So uh, is, is something like there's something, are there any tools already in the market or something that you're developing that enable uh, anyone, any pharma, any healthcare executive to find those kind of categories or groups or branches of certain terms and be able to see mm -hmm. like how to be use that, whether it's clinical trials or content or engagement or communication. How, how they're able to find the 
are there any tools? I'm surprised that you know Google hasn't developed something given the sheer amount of searches. Is there are there any tools to yeah. map out those conversations or to map out those searches, or it's still done through a mix of proprietary approaches? Well, one of the things that we've developed and, and recently launched this year was a way that, like, because we were grabbing, say, five, six hundred different long-form questions on any given topic. Um, and so, like, around a medication. And we were manually looking through to what the landing pages were for the questions of high strategic value to our clients. What I wanted to know is what is the digital share of voice for the different players across this landscape from a quantitative point of view? And so um, so we developed a way we, we were able to aggregate all of the landing pages. We decided to do a cutoff at the top 10 results on each search engine result page or SERP. And so... Um, so we would look at every single landing page for every single question up to the top 10 results. And then we would relatively rank all of the websites that were turning up. And so that's our share of SERPs analysis. Um, it gives you a view of who are the actual players influencing the narrative on your product or influencing the narrative in a disease state. And what you're able to do there is then audit those particular websites and go, well, these are the most important players. And I know that now because they've ranked at the top of the share of SERPs analysis. So I don't need to worry about those other 500 websites because who's got the time to audit all of them? These are the ones driving the dialogue. And when they're driving the dialogue online, they're informing the opinions of your stakeholders, which inform in turn, um, informs their behavior. And when you let them that up like you talked about the scale of the number of questions being asked on healthcare into google every day and doctors google too then we're able to actually see how this is actually really impacting the digital i mean sorry the healthcare ecosystem as a whole um so so knowing those players is a really important thing so the tool that we've developed is a ranking tool and then we're able to look definitively within a market on a topic and say these are the top 40 websites. Typically what we find, and we cut it off at 40 to do the analysis on those 40 for a client, is that those 40 websites usually um, represent over 70% of the content that is being served back to stakeholders on a topic. And so you can actually really focus in because you go into this process, you think, oh my God, the internet is so huge. How am I going to know what's really happening for my patients? But when we can distill it down to these are the top 40 websites you need to know, and then you need to be making sure that their content is up to date. They might have a treatment algorithm published on there from six years ago before your product was launched, or it might be content from another market where your medication has a different indication or it might be content on pricing, which is completely irrelevant in your own market. Um, so now that you know that, you're able to then maybe contact those publishers and work with them, or if it's really inappropriate content. So um, drugs.com, when someone does a comparison of two different drugs, they serve back to that stakeholder um, a comparison of those two different drugs based on all of the reviews that they've got by individuals on those two different drugs. They're not even verified patients. We don't know their comorbidities. 
In many cases, we don't even know which indication they took that drug for. We don't know if they took it properly. But those collected reviews of like 378 reviews for this drug and 520 reviews for that drug, and this one got three stars out of five and that one got two stars out of five. And it's like, what? That, that That's coming back when our stakeholders are comparing two different drugs online and it's like the top result. So what you can do then is you can report to Google that that website is serving inappropriate content. Google does have a philosophy that is sort of like a safety net of your money or your life. So if someone is being financially scammed by content on Google and you report that, they will deprioritize it in the search results. Likewise with health. If content is being published that is misleading um, or potentially giving dangerous advice, you can deprioritize that. But I would be careful of deprioritizing things before you have content to fill that vacuum. Because what's going to happen if you go and report and deprioritize things that are on page one, you don't know what's on page two that's then going to bubble up. Um, so it is important to sort of fill that space with correct evidence-based content. So maybe if you're doing your video on how to use your product, put it on YouTube, also put it embedded within your website, provide it to those third-party stakeholders that have a high domain authority on that topic so that that content can be available via link one, link two, link three. And, and therefore you can start to be more confident that your rigorously produced content is what patients are getting their hands on. That's the tool that we've developed to try and manage that digital landscape. Great. And then um, we at Evermed, you know, we help pharma use more video to engage doctors and we're getting more and more questions on how to use that for, for patients and we have a few projects coming up with that. Uh, one thing that um, I found really intriguing is and sometimes confusing is that when you start to type something health related and in Google, yep. usually you get first results from these large websites, WebMD, Healthline, at least in the US, when you yep. search in the US. And then, you know, That's a lot of those websites, websites. They're, yeah, they're text based. Most of them are text based, number one. Number two, they have a lot of ads. They're not really like easy to read. And I feel like uh, I'm MD, so I haven't been practicing for, for 20 years, but I'm in pharma staying close to the healthcare industry. So for me, I'm much more informed or educated than an average Google user for that. Even even when I do those searches, I start to feel overwhelmed very quickly yes. into the process. I recently yeah, searched yeah. for a family member, breast cancer, so I was trying to update myself on all things. Mm -hmm. I start to get very like overwhelmed. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm thinking... What's the role? I know YouTube is the second uh, biggest uh, search engine. So what's the role of video in that? And do you see a trend where doctors are becoming more and more content creators? And when you see someone in the white coat and say, hey, these are the 10 things you need to know when someone gets diagnosed with cancer X, rather than, you know, going article after article and going to bed and, you know, having more anxiety than before. Yes, yes. And what you touch on there in terms of that emotional state that you're in when you're searching for information about a health-related topic is really, really important because it does inform how you respond to the content. And I 100% agree with you that a lot of the time when you're searching about something for yourself or a loved one, you're so you're, you're heightened in your anxiety. And even if you have a really high health literacy, you can still feel put into a complete panic. And I think making that content accessible and, and infusing it with compassion is a really good place to start. And you're right, a lot of the time 
the content on there is is just way too technical for the average person. Um, and then the, the content that's written for the average layperson is not answering the specific question that the person asked. Um, video is really important. And I do see through my work um, sometimes little thumbnails coming up in that first page, one landing page that then take people directly to Google, uh, to YouTube, sorry, um, but it's rare. So I think there's scope for having that presence in those page one SERPs and taking people directly to YouTube. I do see people also searching specifically for YouTube or for Reddit. Um, and I think having that video content plugged into those other websites is another good way to um, to increase the presence of it and increase its influence. Mm -hmm. Maybe over time we will be able to get more thumbnails on page one for those YouTube videos. Yeah, hopefully. I, I mean, I find because I look often at the statistics with videos and it just, you know, when I, whenever I read something like, why, why is video not used even more? I mean, younger generations really need to prove use a video because they're so good in creating videos and editing videos. That's how TikTok took off. Yes. Um, but uh, video drives, you know, retention, like is 8x versus text. So I'm like, if you're trying to educate yourself, why not watch something versus read something? Things like that. Now, one last question I wanted to ask you is, is there any company, whatever you can share, but there any disease area that is leveraging more is uh, all this wealth of information that's available through search? Uh, you mentioned an example of uh, stages that diabetes patient goes through. So is there anything that you can share as someone who is doing it well or something that's already public? Um, I think what I've seen, and I've worked with a lot of different companies in this work, um, not just in Australia, but in New Zealand, in Europe. Um, and what we're seeing is that there's just an enormous amount of room for improvement in how um, how the right kind of content is turning up for our stakeholders. And it's consistent across all categories. Um, I have had clients ask me, well, what's the best practice for this? And I'm like, well, that is your opportunity to establish the best practice for this. Um, because right now, what we see when we do our build it and they will come approach to our websites is we're celebrating traffic through the back end of that website and we're looking at how people arrived at that website and we're understanding what they've downloaded on that website and you know the resources that they read and used but that's the tip of the iceberg what's really happening out there is there's another 95 percent of your stakeholders going all over the internet i did an example for a client recently where they had a new medication that had been six months um, launched in our market and they had invested in some really great resources around the disease and things like that. When we did our top 40 share of SERPs analysis, we found those top 40 websites influenced 95%. Like they represented 95% of the content coming back to all of the questions on their drug name. This is not on the disease, this is on their drug name. And their resources did not even rank wow. and so that was a wake-up moment for them to go oh my goodness we've spent all this money and time developing these resources and i i try to reassure people i'm like don't worry it's not broken now you know and sometimes knowing the problem is 95 percent of fixing it so now you know that you need to be having a greater presence but you can also piggyback off of the digital presence of those other stakeholders so if most of the traffic is going to your u.s website 
ask your US colleagues if your local stakeholders can please have a button, just maybe it's a, a flag or something, on that landing page and that website to bounce back to the local content. And I think the other opportunity is turning that online search activity into offline engagement with the company. Because our traditional sales model is to schedule a time, make an appointment, go and wait in the waiting room for that doctor. They're in the middle of a million other things. Then they've got to get their head out of all of those other diseases that they're treating and think about your product and your disease in that conversation with the sales rep. But they don't know that their question on that product is going to be probably something entirely different when they come to actually use it or prescribe it. And so, you know, we'll see doctors going online asking, um, how do you reconstitute this vaccine? Meaning, what do you reconstitute with it? Saline or, you know, like these are the kind of questions that they have. If we can turn that online activity into a call here or a chatbot where we've pre-populated content that is pre-approved by our teams that answers those specific questions, then we can do a lot better of turning up for those stakeholders where and when they need us to. Just being focused on user experience can help with a lot of these things that you're mentioning. Yeah. All right. So uh, really fascinating conversation. A um, lot of opportunities. I think it is a really tremendous white space. You just gave an example. Like top farm work for the website, 95% of conversations and not being there with the drug name. I mean, like <laughs> one thing I'll take away from this is Good conversation is a huge white space, and it's there are people basically asking questions that need answered. Um, and um, I have a few rapid fire questions uh, for you there so that uh, the listeners can get to know you better. So, first one is What's your favorite industry buzzword of this year? It's got to be search listening, right? <laughs> I was uh, hoping you'll say that. Uh, I expected. <laughs> All right. Hashtag search listening help. There you go. <laughs> And then what's the uh, best book you read in the last year to that really made an impression on you? Oh, I really loved Bold. It's about taking big ideas and, and having grand audacious goals because when you do that, you will bring along the best thinkers and the best minds on your mission. Um, and, and there's no more time to be incremental in our approach to anything. And that's not just our work, but also, you know, important issues like climate change and, the degradation of the environment, having bold goals is a really um, wonderful thing. And that, that book maps it out so wonderfully. Well, yeah, I had a chance to, to listen to the author once, keeping uh, uh, her mistakes. What's your go-to music when you need some inspiration, type of music or a song? Oh, ev everything. I love old school Australian rock. Um, I, I listen to all different kinds of music. I'm loving LP at the moment. She's an American singer coming out to Australia soon. Um, so anything I can just blast on the radio and dance around the living room too. <laughs> All right. Good to know. And then what's one sentence advice would you give to anyone starting out in pharma marketing or communication? Don't be intimidated by senior people in your organization. They're human too. And um, make time to support them and learn from them and ask questions. And no matter what level you get to in your career, always feel comfortable to ask questions because it's quite possible that other people in the room have the same question and everyone's sitting there being concerned that someone's going to judge them for not knowing something, but then nothing's going to move forward. Um, so yeah. So connect with your colleagues. Um, business is personal, make friends um, because we spend too much time at work to not 
build relationships that are genuine and authentic with those people working around us. And always keep the, pa- the patient in mind. At the end of that, the day, that's why we do what we do. Um, and, and then you'll see the important meaning of the work that we do. Yeah. Great. Great. And very powerful message. And then uh, where can people find you online? Um, on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, so Julia Walsh on LinkedIn or Brand Medicine International is the company page. We are a startup. Um, this company was registered about coming up two and a half years ago. And um, and we've only been launched as search listening work since October last year. Um, we're very, very lucky that many big organizations have adopted this work and i think it's starting to actually get some traction now that people are seeing that it needs to be a central part really of um not just your digital strategy but your overall communication strategy because we get actionable insights online that we can implement offline as well and um yeah so we're we're on linkedin and then your your booking also be purchased on on the website right or on amazon that's brandmedicine.com.au yeah All right. Well, thank you, Julia. It's been a fascinating conversation. I think it's a unique topic and I'm looking forward to get some feedback from the listeners of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for including me in your wonderful podcast, Fozzie. It was a pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.